Thank you, Lord. If you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to open them up to Matthew, Matthew 4. Extremely, extremely uh, familiar passage we'll be looking at this morning. Um, as we do that, though, let me, uh, I want to introduce you to Cleo. There's Cleo. Cleo is our family dog, which is actually a Valentine's gift from my wife that just keeps on giving. Uh, I don't know how long now. It's been a little while, um, eight, nine years. Anyway, that's Cleo up there. And, and the reason I don't want to introduce you to Cleo um, is that, first off, how many, uh, how many or who has dogs in here? All right. How many, how many people have cats? Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> the cat, you people are so deceived. <laughs> we need to pray. We need to pray. Careful now. We all know that dogs go to heaven, right? <laughs> Cats, uh, we don't know. A dog will, will run in a burning building to wake his master as a cat sat, will sit there and watch it torch to the ground. Anyway, this is Cleo, and this is my wife's dog. But the reason I want to introduce you to Cleo this morning is that uh, Cleo loves me. Cleo really digs me, and, and how I know this is that every single time that I enter into even the development that I live in, or as I'm pulling up to the house, or jumping out of the car and walking into the house, every single time, Cleo greets me with a wagon tail and her claws going off, and she's up here, and... and uh. She really shows um, how much she, well, you know, and let's not get too theological about this, okay? I don't want any emails from people who are watching online saying that I'm blasphemous and I'm comparing a dog to God or, or us, our love for God to the dog and us. Just relax. <laughs> the point is that Cleo, every time, it's like she cannot wait to meet me at the door. No matter what's going on, no matter how bad her day may be or whatever her issues may be for that day, she is at that door every single time. Matter of fact, she, she is at, that, at the window by the door before I even get out of the car. So this dog, Cleo, which actually you can't really tell in that picture, we named after Cleopatra because she's got the eyeliner thing going on around her eye. So, But... She loves and shows that love every single time. And it's like I could just go out back to the car and then walk back in like two minutes later. It's like I've been gone all day. And the dog just seems to show that, 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 that love for its owner. And, and today I, I try and want to hope to share a little bit about firing up the passion that we have for Jesus Christ. We should be just like Cleo, Okay. All the religious people just get a grip, okay? <laughs> we should be able to be people who love God so much that we are like, just can't wait to get to the door where God is, where Christ is. And every time we come into his presence, we should have such an expectation and such a, a ferverness and a passion to be, to be in his presence and to, to just let him know that, that, that we love him. And today we're going to look at a passage that... Um, 
Many times we look at God's word, especially passages that are very familiar with us, and we kind of just gloss over it because we've heard it a thousand times. And sometimes we miss the nuggets that are in it because we've heard it forever and ever and over and over. And, and today I hope that the Lord would reveal just some, some truth to us when it comes to um, these passages that we're looking at. When I was growing up, I had this, I really, really digged Star Wars. Now, irregardless of where you, where you are and all that and how geeky you may think I may be, but at the moment that Star Wars, the original, not the 150 other movies that came after, but the original one, that was like the coolest thing for me. I thought that movie was, was just super wide open for me. It was just so cool, the, the storyline, the special effects. Today we see things in the movies and we're like, you know, that was really bad back then, but, but then it was really good, and we really, I really enjoyed the, the, the drama, the storyline, the characters, you know, the stormtroopers, and, you know, the, the lightsabers, and all that kind of stuff, and it may sound corny and everything, but I was a fan of Star Wars, but I want to say this, that Star Wars never made a difference in my life. There was nothing about Star Wars that had any substance that changed who I was or how I lived my life. I was, I was an admirer. I mean, I didn't seek out the, you know, the, uh, I didn't seek out people to, to discuss the, the theme of Star Wars. I didn't seek out or try to practice my lightsaber and fighting with other people, although that may be cool and all, but we didn't really do those things. And and all those elements, they may have been entertaining, but they didn't have any substance to change who I was. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people in churches today, I know it's not you, but it may be somebody you know, or they may be right next to you, or in your row, that are fans of Jesus Christ. They, they, they praise him and they thank him for the for the, the, the carpenter of Nazareth and for the cross to happen 2,000 years ago. And they, and, they, and they are inspired by the stories, the biblical stories, and they you know, are moved by the miracles and all the other stuff. And they enjoy the, the society or the church culture and, and all that that comes along with it. And, and they're fans of that. Unfortunately, neither Christ nor his church may be having an effect on your life the rest of the week. Unfortunately, there are too many fans of Jesus Christ. See, Star Wars, I was a fan, but I surely was not a devoted follower of Star Wars. It didn't affect my life in any way, shape, or form. Christ, in the passage that we're going to look at, very familiar, calls out some disciples to follow him. Actually, Christ's three words says, come and follow me. He goes on and he goes, um, I want you to know that right off the bat, there's a great book out there called Fan or Follower. Um, not a fan or a follower. The, and, and it was written a few years ago. And, and, if, and if you ever got an opportunity to get the book, get the book and read it. It's a very cool read. And it, it really may open up some, some truths to us about being a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Christ is looking for followers. He is not looking for fans. 
He is not looking for people to cheer him on in the stands as he does his miracles and as he reveals himself in certain ways. That is not what he wants. He wants us to be people who are fully devoted, who have given our lives completely and fully over to Christ. And today, this is what the passage is really dealing with. So if you have your Bibles, we're in Matthew 4. If not, I think it'll be up there on the screen. But in our text today, depending on your translation, we're going to read out of the New King James. We see here, starting in the 18th verse. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. We all know the story. Then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And then it says, immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Verse 21, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother, in a boat with Zebedee, their father, mending the nets. He called them, and immediately they left their boats and their father and followed him. Now, if we were just to jump over a little bit and go to chapter 9, in verse 9, we find Jesus showing up again, and he finds this guy called Matthew sitting at his job. And Christ says in Matthew 9, verse 9, As Jesus passed on through there or from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now, these are very familiar texts. Amen. I mean, you've heard this once or twice in church, I'm sure. This text really, as I looked at it and as I studied it the day and a half that we were preparing for today, The truth is that I don't get it. On the surface, I don't get it. Really. We have no other text. We have no other communication between Christ and these guys. Peter and Andrew are doing their family business, right? Jesus shows up on on, on a shore one day without any other communication says, come and follow me. And these guys drop their family business, leave their family and follow Christ. What? What is that? It doesn't register when we look at it. How about he comes up with another, John and James, and they're doing their thing with their dad, family business thing. Just follow me. And they immediately do it. You got to be kidding me. Where do we get that from? How does that, does that compute? Am I the only one who doesn't, you know, Like immediately, without any conversation, without any, oh, let me pray about it first, or any kind of debate, immediately they followed Christ. We just don't, it just doesn't compute. I mean, I know that all the spiritual people in the room are saying, well, theologically and doctrinally speaking, we know that God brings life to an individual and and all the rigmarole that goes along with the doctrine of salvation and all that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when God presents you with an opportunity to be obedient, that you don't think about it, you just do it. Most of us in the room think about it. What do you mean leave my business? What do you mean leave my boat on shore? Of course you don't mean that, right? Of course he does mean that. But to get a better understanding of this text, we really need to look at the culture, the Jewish nation, the culture of the time to give us a little bit of insight on on these words that Christ used. Christ used these three words, and Christ's words, God's words, are always perfectly placed. 
So when you hear the word follow me, they're just like three words for us. But for a Jewish male to hear the words come follow me meant something completely different or held more weight than it does for us. Because we're taking the natural looking at it and saying, well, you want me to leave my family, you know, potentially my wife, you know, my job, my assets, and leave it all and come follow you without any discussion. Most of us would say, that's crazy. God says to here to us today that if we want to understand this, other than a supernatural act of, of illumination of truth, which it is sovereignly and doctrinally, that's, that's accurate. But to the, to the human being that may be here today that are fans of God, of Jesus and God, maybe you'd be asking the same question. Maybe you would have to ask the same questions. See, the truth is that the rabbis, the rabbis, they were the men. They were the guys who had it going on. They were the ones who, at first century Jerusalem, first century, at this period of time, they were the ones who were the ones who interpreted Scripture. They were the ones who, who um, understood the Word, knew the Word, and translated the Word and interpreted the Word in such a way that they would... Um, kind of give their commentary. Today we open up a book or Bibles and we have these commentaries or footnotes and we have these things that, that help us out with understanding and all this. Well, they had rabbis. And a rabbi simply means teacher. But they, were, they would take the text, interpret it, and then translate it into regular people understanding. So the, the average person would understand like the Sabbath. Keep the Sabbath holy. So look at one of the commandments. Well, this, well, the rabbi will look at the commandment and say, okay, we all know to keep the Sabbath holy. What's that mean? And then he would say, well, no working on the Sabbath. Or, you know, you know, whatever it may be, whatever his slant on that take of that text would be. And that would be his yoke. And that yoke would be the God. That is what a, a disciple or a follower would, would jump onto and be a part, Right? So these guys are so respected. These guys in the first century church were the men that were the superstars. You know, they're, they're the Michael Jordans of their time, except so much so that society built their educational system around them, right? So every male, every family who had boys, their goal wasn't for, for little you know, Johnny to grow up and be Michael Jordan, their goal, their hopes, their desires was for that their boys would, would become a rabbi so that they could have this esteem and this respect and be a part of something substantial. So the kids would start their school around six years old, and they would go to the synagogue, and they would study Scripture. And for them to graduate at the age of 10, let's just say, let's put it in our terms, graduate, let's say, elementary school, they would have to have memorized word for word the law. Word for word, the law. The first five books of the Bible. Now, without anybody raising their hands here, I would hope that as I pose the question that you could decipher the truth in your own heart. How many people here know the first five books of the Bible? Well, these kids had to know word for word, right? And I don't say this to demean us in any way, shape, or form, but just to glorify God in the truth of what's about to be said. 
once they have learned the, the, the Torah, the law, from Genesis to Deuteronomy, word for word, they would graduate. And they would go to what we might call high school. So now they're 10. And now they have to, from, from 10 to 14 years of age, have to learn the Hebrew Bible, all 39 books of the Hebrew Bible, word for word. Word for word. Now, some of us might be challenged by just putting in order the first five books of the Bible. These kids, at the age of 14, would need to, uh, to qualify to become a rabbi, just to, just to qualify, would have to know the complete Hebrew Bible, Genesis to Malachi, word for word, spot on, right? For those of you who don't know, that's 23,145 verses, okay? And if you want to get really crazy, it's 593,493 words to memorize, right? If they were able to do that, they would approach a rabbi and ask the rabbi, can I follow you? I want you to be my rabbi. And then the rabbi would quiz them. Yay or nay? Most of them failed. Most of the men didn't make the cut. So the rabbi would say, no, you're not good enough. You're not the best of the best. You have to, here's your plan. Go home and make some babies. And maybe you can pray that they one day will be a rabbi. Right? So these men at 14 years old have already been given the weight of being accepted in society in such a manner that they would be somebody special or esteemed to be a rabbi or to start higher academia, maybe to get into college, we'll call it, right? These kids at 14 need to know all these things. If they pass the test, the rabbi says, okay, come and follow me. Same words Jesus used. Jesus didn't just flip those words out, you know, just out of the air. He used them specifically for that reason. Meaning that you had to be the best of the best of the best of the best. It's like guys on the basketball team making the NBA, right? You have zero chance. Or I should say, we have zero chance of making the cut, right? Because we're not the best of the best. You see, Jesus, as he comes up on these guys, says, listen, follow me. That blows these guys out of the water. They're like, wait a minute. He's a rabbi. We know he's a rabbi. And being a rabbi, he knows the rules. I'm not the best of the best. I'm not even caring to be the best of the best. I want to fish. And I'm all down with that, and I agree with that. But the truth of the matter is that when Christ said to these guys, listen, come and follow me, what is he saying? He's saying that you can be the best. He's saying you can teach scripture. He's saying you can be a rabbi with my authority and with, with as you come to be my disciple, you will see and be exactly what I've called you to be. And he goes on, he says, I'll make you fishermen of men. He takes what they really dig doing. I don't know about you, but most people don't like their job. I kind of think Peter and these guys kind of didn't despise their job. 
I mean, it wasn't the greatest job, but it was their thing. It was their gig. So the truth of the matter is that God told these guys, listen, you may not be good enough, but with me, you can do it. With Christ, all things are possible. And he goes on and he says, listen, Andrew, Peter, John, James, I'm not calling you because you're qualified. Matter of fact, God doesn't even want to choose the best of the best. He's not even interested if you're the best of the best in here. Anyway, come on. He's not interested in that. He's interested, what Christ is interested in these guys isn't the fact that they were esteemed high academically, not the fact that they were, they were bred to be a certain position in, in life, but the fact that they were willing to be a part of something. Now, we get it. We're on the right side of the cross. We're on the side that we know Christ came to die, suffer, die, and, and to be raised again for the payment of mankind, for the sins of mankind. We, we get that. They didn't. They didn't know that was going on. They didn't know that Christ was going to change a worldview and, and change humanity forever. But we do. Right? Christ says to these guys, listen, come follow me. I'm not looking for the best. I'm looking for the most willing. And that's where we come in. Christ is looking for the willing. He's not looking for followers. Or he's not looking for fans. He's looking for followers. He's looking for disciples who are willing to, to be the most willing. Christ isn't looking for a church full of fans. He's looking for a church full of followers. You see, that the deal is that Jesus specializes in using unlikely things to do amazing things. He uses the things that, that no one would think to use. You're not qualified. You may feel today that you're not qualified. Well, here's the here's truth. You're not. No person is. There is no academia high enough to qualify for the goodness of Christ. It is only by the grace of God and the mercies of God that we are called into the place of discipleship and a follower of Jesus Christ. It's only by that grace. Jesus is saying today, I don't need you to be qualified. I need you to be willing, right? If you look at Matthew and you look at Luke's Gospels, they kind of do the genealogy thing, the lineage thing, you know, so-and-so begot so-and-so and so-and-so begot, you know, those, those passages you skip over to get to whatever's going on after it. They're important. They're important for a lot of reasons, but contextually for our talk today, they're important that you need to understand that God promised to bring a Messiah through the lineage that was presented in these Gospels. In the lineage of these Gospels, you find, you know what you find? You find liars, you find cheaters, you find immorality, failure, adulterers, prostitutes, foreigners. People who simply just reject God are found in this lineage. Why is that important? That's important because you know you, and I know me. And if God would have to, to do something on, on my credentials, we'd be in trouble. No matter how many, seminal or how many seminaries or Bible colleges you go to, 
it's not going to be good enough. But through Christ, it will be. He will use you, and he will, and he will achieve great and mighty things through you. Why did God use these people, these failures, the adulterers, the sinners? Why? Because we need to know that if God can use those people, he can use us. Hope is found in Christ, and in Christ we live, move, and have our being. See, we have this misconception sometimes. We have this conception that, you know, they're biblical characters, and I'm just me. They are no different than you are, except that they were recorded for a purpose greater or, or a different purpose, maybe not greater, but a different purpose so that we could see and learn and, and, and understand who God is. But listen, that is your purpose as a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. You with me? Good. Okay. Listen, a follower... I can't see that clock. There's a killer glare. That says 03, right? Okay, sweet. A follower, right? A follower is called to lay down his life. Bottom line, to follow that rabbi, once you, if you've made the cuts and you've made it to the point where he's accepted you into higher academia, if you will, you have to leave your family. You have to leave maybe your spouse. You have to leave your friends your church, you have to leave your assets, all that you have, you have to lay down to follow that rabbi. Jesus Christ is telling us the same thing. Christ calls men, calls these men, and these men, without hesitation, follow him. Without hesitation, follow him. Sometimes we get caught up on being the best of the best, getting to where we need to go in this life, no matter what happens, to be a success. And many times, being a success is counterproductive to following Christ. And we have to make a decision as followers, as believers. God gave you faith to believe. Apart from his gift from faith, you're hopeless. There is nobody hopeless. God has made the way. But the, apart from God's grace and your salvation, we, we're dead in our transgressions and our sins. The truth is that God calls these guys, these guys didn't hesitate. So what does that mean? The so what moment? You've heard me say it before. So what? Okay, you've heard you say what you got to say. Now at this point, so what? Give me something that I can take or it's worthless. Right? You met Cleo. That's about all you're going to get. The truth is, right, what does that mean for Coastal? What does that mean for every other church that proclaims Jesus Christ as God, Savior, Messiah, Redeemer, what does that mean? What does that look like? First, it looks like grace. Apart from grace, we are toast. Because God has given us the grace, we must, because he gave us the grace, we're able to walk in that, I give it all to you, Lord, because it was grace. There's nothing I did to earn it. Matter of fact, most of us who have experienced a radical change in our life, it's because we've seen that grace gift in our lousy life. And because of that grace gift, I'm willing to follow him. You know, it's that I want to pay you back, although nothing will ever pay you back. I, I, I want to give it a shot kind of attitude. 
Listen, you've probably heard it said, if you want Jesus to be, you know, life-changing, put him first, right? Everybody heard that before, say amen. That's wrong. I didn't say you said it. I said you've heard it. That's wrong. And I'll tell you why it's wrong. Me and my wife have been married, I don't know, gosh, come on, give me some fingers or something. 12 years. 12 years. Now, if I went up and proclaimed in front of a bunch of people, or even to my wife alone, that, baby, you're going to be number one, but Susie will be number two, and Mary will be number three, would that be all right with her? Come on now. Guys who are married, say it to your wife. Does that work? No. It's such a scary question. You guys won't even speak. (laughs) No. Leave me alone. Get away from me. No, it doesn't work at all. Matter of fact, she's probably already looking to crack you one. It doesn't work. Jesus can't be your number one. Jesus has to be your everything. Okay, Lord, you'll be number one, but he'll be number two, and he'll be number three. And and God is like, I don't play that. Bible says that God is a jealous God. You are, he is your everything. He is your all in all. He needs for us to be all in to be a follower and a disciple of Jesus Christ. All in. It doesn't work part of the way. And every woman will tell you that. And every guy will tell you that. If his wife come up to a guy or a boyfriend or girlfriend, say, well, you're my number one girl, but two, three, and four, you know, you're number one, but they're two, three, and four. Come on. That's ridiculous. The truth is, it's got to be it's you, baby, and only you for every guy to understand. That works. The only way it's going to work. Same goes for God. Bottom line, that is the truth. What do we need to do as believers in putting Christ in the center of everything? One, we have to learn the rabbi's words. You see, if a follower would have to follow their rabbi. They would have to observe learn, imitate the rabbi. Rabbi would teach. He's not breaking out the textbook saying, here you go, follow along. He's speaking words of his interpretation from the Hebrew Bible, and you need to figure it out. That's why, remember in Luke 11, when the guys were sitting around the the feet of Christ, and they're like, teach us how to pray. Well, that's exactly what we're talking about. They are learning how to be like Christ. We as believers, followers of Christ, we need to learn how Christ lived, how he interpreted scripture, how he observed and lived his life so that we can be imitators of Christ. As a matter of fact, the greatest compliment and the greatest um, objection for a follower of a rabbi, was to be a reflection of that rabbi. So we as believers need to be a reflection of our rabbi, Jesus Christ. He was a rabbi. Matter of fact, rabbis in the first century started teaching their disciples at the age of 30. Jesus started his ministry after being baptized at the age of 30. It all falls in line. We need to be followers of Christ now, here's, here's, and I'm getting ready to wrap it up, but here you got to hear this, because this is a phenomenon that, that 
it, it somehow developed over the last 50 years in Western Christianity, right? Well, I'll be obedient in my heart. I'll follow Jesus in my heart. We're okay with believing Christ in our heart, and we're okay with, with loving God from our heart, and we're okay with serving God from our heart. It doesn't work that way. You ever hear somebody say, well, I'll be, I'm there in spirit. <laughs> Tell me that ain't a cop-out. You're not there in spirit. What, are you transfiguring or something from here to there? That's the... Not at all. You have to be people who we all, followers of Christ, have to be people who are willing to give all. Not have a good intention. Or I'll be there in spirit. Or whatever other Christian cliche. And here's another example, because my wife is a great example. My wife comes to me and says, listen, Jim, how about taking the garbage out? <laughs> right? So I say, okay, but I don't do it. She comes back to me the next day and says, I thought I had to take the garbage out. And I say to my wife, well, I did in my heart. <laughs> I did in my heart. Does that work for her? No. It doesn't work for her at all. She says, Jim, can you finish the remodeling job on the bathroom? And I'm like, sure. And I don't. She asked me again. I'm like, well, I did in my heart. And she's like, no, it doesn't work. You don't tell Jesus in your heart you're going to be a follower of him. You follow him. Right? That's a great place for an amen. Right? The truth of it is that we, we must follow Christ. Did my wife want me to memorize her request? No. Did she want me to philosophize with other people about the request? No. She wants it done. <laughs> Bottom line, true, Jesus is no different. He wants it done. He asks us to do certain things to follow him, to follow his, the rabbi, to learn his words, to learn his interpretations, to follow what he wants from us, in his life, in our life, to be called his, so that we reflect who he is to the world. I got all kinds of illustrations with my wife, but I'll leave it alone. The fact of the matter is that James 1, 1 and 22 says, listen, don't deceive yourself. Don't be going with in my heart thing. It's not quite there, but it's a little bit NJV version. New Jim version. The truth is that don't be deceived. Don't be hearers of the word only, but be doers of the word. Right? We need to be people who are ready to do and follow, not fans. Hey, Jesus. You can be a fan as long as you're a follower, but if you're a follower and you're, or you're a fan and not a follower, nah, don't work at all. Back it up. Back the bus up. Start over. That's where the grace and the mercy of God comes in. Discipleship or disciples always are imitators of the rabbi. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. We have to make a decision. This isn't, well, in my heart, I'll work on this. We have to make a decision. Choose this day, the Bible says, whom you shall Love in thy heart or, or serve in thy heart. 
Choose this day whom you will serve. It's a verb. It's action. It's do what God says to do. Know him. Know how he reacts to things. Allow his life to change our life. This could be pretty uncomfortable for some of us. But the truth is the truth. What we are called to be is not so much only knowing Christ, because we think sometimes that's all that matters, right? We know Christ, we love God, I'm going to heaven. Nothing else matters. A lot else matters. The church of Christ who dwells on the earth, that matters. It's not just about loving God in our hearts, maybe being baptized, and, you know, coming to church and throwing a 20 in the plate. That's not what it's about at all. Matter of fact, Eastern Christianity wouldn't even recognize us in the sense of the things we do and why we do them. It's about being a follower of Christ and only Christ. Can you imagine, and I'm closing again, whenever somebody says you're closing, don't trust them. <laughs> this, is, this is it, really. Like the glare looks like 15 and a half. Can you imagine our lives? Can you imagine uh, if we lived our lives that way, that we were all in, that we were Cleo every time we go to prayer, that, that every time I'm going to be in the presence of God, I'm as, I'm as free as a dog. God, that sounds awful. Free as our, our Cleo to love God without any hindrances, any kind of, any kind of stoppage of, of of who we are as people. Can you imagine if we were, everybody in this room was all in for Jesus Christ. Could you imagine that? Can you imagine the difference that would make in this church, this county, this state? Jesus, there was, a, there was a blessing, and here's your benediction for today, okay? When a rabbi wanted to bless his people, you see, rabbis, they moved around. They didn't have a building for the most part. They had synagogues, and they met down by the river, depending on how many men they had. But the truth is, they moved around. And when they went to do their, their speaking tour, most of them walked. Although some of them had some animals, domesticated animals, but most of them walked. And they had their entourage. They had their followers, right? Well, the people who followed the rabbi, because of the size of the entourage, dust would stir up, and it would get all over them. And for a, a blessing... God's blessing to you today would be the same as the rabbi's blessing to those that day. It says, may you, let me get it right, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. May today, as you choose to be a follower of Christ, not a fan, but a follower, may the dust of your rabbi cover you. God wants followers. Let's be that. And if you are that, encourage other people to be that. No fans. Anybody can cheer, yay, when you win, but when you lose, nobody shows up. It's not about winning or losing. It's about giving it all for Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that you love us, that you've given your very best for us, and that in you we have all that we need. We thank you, God, that we find ourselves at a place, Lord, that 
even for those who are followers of you, even those who have set their whole lives for the glory of your, your church and for your presence, Lord, allow us a renewal. Allow us a revival, even, God, that would be transformating, Lord, that would transform not only our churches, God, but your church as a whole. We thank you, Lord, today that by your mercies and through your grace, we are called to be yours. It is through that that we are called to be your disciples. So, Lord, today, we pray your spirit to to convict and move on the hearts and all of us, Lord, that each person in this room today and those watching by internet would, would feel the, the move of your spirit to, to even convict and encourage us to, to come and follow you. We thank you, Lord, that there's nothing good of us, but anything that is good of us is found in you. So bless us today. Let let the dust of our rabbis settle all over us, we pray, for your glory and our good. And all God's people would say, amen. Listen, if you want somebody to pray with, there should be some people up here after service. Uh, if you want them to agree with you, come on up. We'll, they'll pray with you, and I'll pray with you if you like. And allow God to change your life. Let's go out there this week. Y'all can stand. It's all right. <laughs> Got people standing sitting like, like he's going again. Here we go. Listen, this is your challenge. Go out there and follow Jesus this week. Amen? Have a great week. If you need prayer, there will be somebody up here. Thank you, Lord.